Greetings, and welcome to the RPG Review Board Podcast. You're listening to Episode 5. In this episode, the board administers their righteous judgment upon Troika. And if you couldn't tell, there's an exclamation point at the end. Designed by Daniel Sell and published in 2019 by the Melsonian Arts Council. Troika is a whimsical science fantasy RPG, full of interesting world-building story hooks, giving an old-school feel with new and interesting dice resolution mechanics. Join us as the board convenes in the support of the betterment of tabletop gaming. Come now, the honorable representatives of the RPG Review Board. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, all rise. The RPG Review Board is now in session. My name is John Case Tompkins. I am joined by Heidi Faith, Trey Gordon, Adam Lawson, and Nathan Stanley. If the judgment of this court helps you find a new game, help us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Lady and gentlemen, how is everybody? Nathan, what are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Well, I, I am in I'm in Colorado, Ooh. where the elevation is high, and so is everyone else. Um... <laughs> Oh, buddy. Yeah. Did you have that pun just locked and loaded? Was that like, <laughs> is that just ready to go? People have that on their t-shirts here. Like, it's just, oh, that's fair. yeah, yeah. It's just everywhere. You know what? They're probably all happy. So uh, yeah, happy, horny, hungry. There's actually a place here called Fat Shack that will sell you a sandwich that has the fries included in it so that you don't even have to eat your fries separately you can just chow down the whole thing it's like who is this possibly invented for oh i know for for people that do their best impressions of wood chippers while they're eating yeah <laughs> yes oh, yes yeah. so good exactly exactly and with the other hand you can have your you know your honey bear or whatever it is i don't know these terms um <laughs> so no. sounds like you know them to me case <laughs> oh okay yeah you seem very familiar. Yes. <laughs> when I used to live in San Diego, there was a place local to me that had a burrito that had French fries in it. That was the greatest thing I've ever had. I could never make it through even half of one. They were so big, but it was so good. So. Oh yeah. I'm all I'm all for that one meal and yeah. Well, and and they have they have 24 hour taco joints here, which are yeah they're amazing. So it's like two in the morning. You're like you know what I want tacos. And you drive to this old Wendy's thing that used to be a Wendy's and only now it's painted completely yellow and red. And you drive up to the the like ancient drive through box that's kind of bent over to the side because it was hit by a truck several times. And you go, I want three tacos. And you go, because the sound doesn't work very well. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you drive up, you hand them cash because they only take cash. And and then you get food, and maybe you got tacos, maybe you got a burrito, maybe you got nachos. It's all delicious, so you never complain. I was going to say, does it matter? Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. It Put it in your belly. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. Yes. <laughs> okay, now that you're all hungry, 
I'm so jealous, buddy. Yeah. About th- those of you back back in the uh, state of Indiana, where's uh, Nathan? Like, how? What are you doing? What's up? Out here in the lowlands of of Indiana, where it's warm and humid, at least uh, you know the last few days. I don't know. It's been a pretty quiet week for me. I went I went camping this last week. Uh, here's a fact I learned. I'm 35 years of age. I learned that because I hurt the next day. <laughs> I hurt a lot. <laughs> Welcome, brother. That yeah. is, I came to the same realization. Yeah. Oh, I, no. yeah, I was camping and I woke up and felt like I'd been kicked awake when just a couple of years before I'd been able to sleep on the ground and it didn't matter. Why is my spine crooked? I was sleeping on a flat surface, but my spine is somehow crooked now. How yeah. is the, how does this hurt hurt this bad? Wait, so were you just sleeping straight on the ground? Was I mauled by a bear while I was sleeping? <laughs> what happened? Yeah, so you know uh, that's that's a little sad. The Boy Scouted me is is sad that I now hurt a bit more. I'll probably have to get a a nicer nicer bedroll if I want to uh, continue with that tradition. So I'll mention it to the other old people. We'll have your ARP card in the mail in no time. There you <laughs> Thanks. go. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah welcome to the club, brother. Yeah, yeah the council it- has recognized. Welcome to the club. <laughs> As far as uh, gaming goes, uh, there was a game night last weekend at a friend's house. We played a few pretty fun games. We played my favorite game, uh, Bloodbound. Oh, that's a good game. Adam is very familiar with, and, and so is Case. It's a uh, it's a social deduction game in kind in a similar but not very similar vein to Resistance and Secret Hitler and and these sorts of games where you have like spies or something among you but in bloodbound instead you're divided evenly between teams and throughout the game start to learn the identity of the other players at the table and you kind of figure out who's on your team who's not and uh you do this by stabbing each other with a cardboard dagger so what? yeah <laughs> wait so this is not an rpg no the no this is just a just a tabletop it's like a party game you legit get to quote unquote Stab each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, de- de- depending on how much you want to LARP it, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, comes with man. A, it comes with probably like, uh, I don't know, a six or eight inch cardboard. It's a stamped cardboard dagger. And uh, yeah, it is uh, It is very much fun. I enjoy it a lot. So we That's played three so or four games awesome. of it. I lost every single one of them, but I still had fun. There you go. Well, best kind of game. Best kind of game, right? Yeah. Story of my life. Well, okay. So speaking of, let us hear the story of your life, Adam. What have you been up to? Oh, more miniatures. So I finally found a use case for some of them that I've been printing for my birthday, which was a couple weeks ago. I got the core rule book and the two expansion books for a miniatures game called Ragnarok Heavy Metal Combat in the Viking Age. And it is, oh my it is so over the top and crazy. So I've been printing some Viking figures and getting them painted up. Do you get like bonuses at the table if Rammstein is playing in the background while you're moving your miniatures around? I don't think the game can start until that happens. So I don't know if you get bonuses true, so much, but true. you can't I mean, you can't play unless uh, unless you have that going. But, yeah. Like where does inspiration even begin without? That's right. right? Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, you need you just need some sort of Scandinavian heavy metal, right? Just mm-hmm. just. Just the heaviest, yes. the loudest. Can I just say what a brave new world it is when Adam can print out his own birthday presents? Yeah. yeah. 
No, it's it's, it's true. true. Yeah, there there are the, the the possibilities of the 3D printing machine are a little scary. A little scary. I, I'm glad you're just making small bearded men. <laughs> um. <laughs> My goal this year is to just email Adam his Christmas present. There you go. Here, print this out. Whenever's yeah. convenient for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, and uh, somebody who is dealing with a lot of email uh, right now, because I don't think you guys are uh, back to the office yet. Heidi, how are you doing? Yeah, I am not back in the office. I am working from home and it's amazing because I love sweatpants. This is a real problem. People are going to have to relearn how to put on uncomfortable pants after a year. No, it's funny because I like tried putting on, I had to actually go to the dentist today and I put on actual jeans and I was like, oh no, I hate this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like immediately, I was like, oh, this is the worst thing uh, ever. And like, uh, who oh. decided on denim? Oh, <laughs> That was totally my thought because for the last year, year and a half, all I've done is wear either something with elastic Yes. Or I'm like a dress. And when you wear a dress, people are like, ooh, you're fancy. And I'm like, am I? Or is it because <laughs> I don't like pants? Because <laughs> that's the truth. I'm like, I'm not fancy at all. I just can't handle like a button and a zipper at this point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yes, not back in the office, but it's all good. Um, other than that, I will tell you guys, I have not been up to a lot. I had a friend in town, so I actually, it was lovely to get to spend time with a childhood friend, um, and that was beautiful. Other than that, here's how cool I am. I've been doing a lot of gardening. Not the coolest, but I like it. I like it. I go out in my yard. I, I, do, I grow some herbs. I grow some zucchini. I grow some tomatoes. It's all good. Yeah. That's it. I'm sorry. I can't give you more. Other than that, no pants, pro tomatoes, pro zucchini. Pro that's zucchini. it. Those are my right. stances. Gardening is only exciting out here in Colorado. <laughs> I, unfortunately, it's not that kind of gardening. Okay. And I wish yeah. the, the uh, payoff is not as fun. Yeah. But I, I will give all of y'all some fabulous basil at the end of the season. Oh, right? man. How's that? Fresh nice. basil. Maybe some good pesto. How's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The pesto's the best. <laughs> Sold. But speaking of someone who always looks fancy, especially in a dress, Trey, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, swishy. I, swishy. I, I feel twirly and, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, fine. It, in my neighborhood, it's all about the car jockeying around here. Um, occasionally some new person will show up on the street and they'll move in and suddenly everybody's accustomed parking places on the street start to get usurped and they have to move and everybody there's all this like low-key bad feeling everywhere because we all kind of know each other and we all get along <laughs> and we understand that okay you parked there because there's nowhere else for you to park because so so and so parked there and the new guy is there because he doesn't know that the old guy who lived there used to park over there but i'm still mad because i got a park around the corner now yeah. And then you have to reschedule, you have to rethink about your schedule, like, okay, so if I can get home 20 minutes earlier. Yes. Yes. That's right. If I get home 20 minutes earlier, then Omar won't be home yet. Yes. <laughs> I can take, I can take, take that.
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Man, Sucker. why hasn't th- someone should have invented that as a phone game, like a parking Oh yeah. like a puzzle parking game that you can play on your phone where you're waiting for the bus or something and just be like maneuvering cars, you know, uh, around corners. Yeah. Sure, sure. That'd be a yeah. lot of fun. Well, I got I got home and some some dork had parked badly. <laughs> So there was, there was all this extra room, a car I'd never seen before, who who is threw everything even more out of whack because he's not even a new guy. It's just someone no one knows. And he parked, but he parked like, left like a quarter of a car link between him and the no parking sign. Oh. So that he's really kind of taken up two spaces now. And so I had to park in front of him and I parked as close to his front bumper as I could since he can always back out. But it's still so too bad. far forward. I know. And then my wife gets home. She's like, why don't you park way over there? And she's like, oh. <laughs> and so <laughs> we're moving the cars. Trying... Yeah. I don't know. And yeah. then someone parks a U-Haul. And it's warm. <laughs> oh, and it just destroys it all. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. <gasps> U-Haul. U-Haul's only going to be there for a day. So theoretically, everybody can kind of grumble and say, "Okay, this is this this is temporary." But with a new guy parks in the wrong parking spot, there's this sort of, "Okay, how's this gonna go down?" The tumbleweeds roll by, and you both like you both like <laughs> reach your hands out to grab for your keys and wait for the other one to draw. <laughs> it's a showdown in the in the roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Oh man. Okay. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Heidi, what? I was going to say, Trey, when I worked at a job that I worked at a job that had a parking garage that was like four or five levels, right? So there was no you if you were fancy pants, you could buy maybe in the lower level like a, a reserve spot. Other than that, it was just straight up parking in the garage. Nothing. And one, and I was like, I liked very much just parking in a corner because I was like, well, this is my spot. Like, this is out of the way. It's like very much like here it is. At the end of the day, I get off the elevator and it's right there. I got out of the elevator one day and there was a woman who was like, you're in my spot. And I was like, what? wait, what? What? Yeah, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. This is crazy. I am not kidding. She was like, you're in my spot. And I was like, you're. You're where you're what? And she was like, My parking spot, you're in it. I was like, These aren't reserved spots. And she's like, It doesn't matter. This is where I park. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, Okay. I was so terrified (laughs) that I just was like, Okay, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. And I didn't because I was so scared. (laughs) I I totally get where she's coming from. (laughs) I was so scared. I was terrified. I was like, Anybody who's going to wait around by me, like, by my car for this. Like, oh, yeah. Okay, oh, you can God. have it. You can I can have see it. her, like, standing next to your car, like, just peering over the roof of it at you as you get off the elevator. It was yeah. awful. I was like, oh, God. And it was, like, just getting dark. The sun was setting. And she just looked terrifying with the sun behind her and, like, the way the shadows were cast. I was like, nope. Okay, oh, yeah, no. you can you, have it. You know if you had ever done it again, then the next time you came out, she would be hanging by her toes over your no. car. <laughs> yeah. Like a like a vampire. Exactly. Full disclosure, I never parked on that floor again. <laughs> Better never. part of valor. 
I was yes. so terrified of this woman. I was like, okay, you can have the whole floor. I will steer clear. This is so messed up. Okay, got it. <laughs> the difference yes. is Trey has the good sense to do the Midwestern thing and just be passive aggressive. Whereas <laughs> exactly. she oh. went, she dropped the <laughs> passive part and just went straight to aggressive. Yeah, this exactly. is true. This that's, is true. That's uncouth here in the Midwest. <laughs> right, right. We never I say will, exactly full, what we full think. Full disclosure: This was in California, so oh, I don't know. Same. I oh, okay. Oh, jeez, you guys. <laughs> now the story makes perfect sense. <laughs> I was imagining. Yes. I was imagining like Indianapolis. I was like, really, no, really? No, no. It was okay, in California. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. So there you go. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, that makes perfect. As a Midwesterner, I assume that anybody not from the Midwest is a terrible human and uh, <laughs> oh, no. and is very aggressive. No, yeah. there's a ton of amazing people, but this lady in particular was not. <laughs> She's amazing in her own way. Speaking of being far from home, our game tonight is... Troika. How's that for a transition? Oh, oh, that was yeah. oh, I wouldn't have noticed if you hadn't pointed it out. <laughs> so our game for tonight is Troika. Troika is a British RPG. It is based on, or at least the system is based on the fighting fantasy game books, which were solo choose your own adventure style game books from the 80s familiar to anybody who had has played like the lone wolf saga which was bigger over here in america but that's the rule system the the game itself is based on um it, it's sort of one man's interpretation of the planescape setting from advanced dungeons and dragons the game is published by the melsonian arts council which gives you an idea uh perhaps of the uh the particular flavor of gaming artiste that produces this kind of material it's on sale uh pdf at drive through rpg for about 18 bucks you can get the hardback from a couple of places online i would recommend uh exalted funeral or spearwitch.com who specialize in importing european and british french culture sort of stuff and you can buy the hardback for between 24 and 28 dollars so it's a relatively new game and boy is it strange so let's talk let's talk first about this setting the rule system we'll get to the rule system i want to hit that later but this this thing is rich in setting but it is rich in a strange way if if you if you think of setting as that big book that you bought for the forgotten realms or the box set that describes fabled lands of some sort that's not this it is a small book but at the same time it is sort of drenched in this very strange sort of fantasy what did you call it nathan um you know i my initial word for it was like a, a farcical fantasy yeah um but uh you know another way of thinking of it that i was kind of toying with was maybe just like extreme whimsy but but yeah farce is probably the closest i think i could get to it you know that sort of baron munchausen sort of sort of feel it's like Pablo Picasso and Salvador Dali had a love child or something, and it was 
indifferently raised by Andy Warhol in the Yellow Submarine. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, the, the, the writing in the book, it, the writing sets the tone for the, for the world rather than it telling you what the world is like. It just starts talking, and the the way this book is written, it just it can only be this weird kind of yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not doing a very good job, but God, it's weird. It is a it is a weird it is a weird thing. It 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 does take I think you can say very obviously more from the British fantasy tradition. So uh, anybody who has read Neil Gaiman or has watched a Terry Gilliam movie. Or, yeah, um, or if you've if you've ever spent time with uh, the Doctor Who television show, you will know this type of fantasy. It it has a uh, a kind of acceptingness of strangeness and an, a disinterest in what you might call I don't know like formal world building. If you think of world building in the way that say. Um, Brandon Sanderson does it to speak of a modern fantasy author. This is not that by a long shot. And uh, I don't know, Adam, what did you think of that, of that kind of world? Like, is that, are you comfortable with that sort of stuff or? Well, I am. And I wonder if everybody would be. So that was a real concern of mine going into it. It's kind of like if you are the type of person who likes to buy a bunch of Ikea furniture and assemble it without the instructions, if you if you like that. <laughs> <laughs> they give you every piece that you're going to need, but you, you don't care. You want to assemble it in your own weird way. And, and in a certain respect, the world the world really doesn't exist until you've built your characters together um, because they have all these weird things and they don't they don't explain them. And so they say, you know, you're a, a dream catcher and you have a dream journal that's half filled with with dreams. What is that? What does that mean? And so my biggest concern when you're when you're building this is that perhaps some players may feel less inclined to introduce canon when they start to describe what all this weird stuff actually means in the world. Yeah. Um, and, in, and in some ways, the combination of, the, you know, you assemble these, you know, four characters and a GM that combination is going to be way different depending on, you know, what backgrounds you end up with. Yeah. So I, it's crazy, uh, but it's interesting. I, I'll add this other little nugget. I, I was watching a really interesting interview with Daniel Sell, who is the author of this um, rule system, and he said he loved uh, Planescape, um, but they ruined it when they had all the splat books that described everything. He said, no, 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 don't do that. And that's exactly what this game does. It gives you all the whimsy and all the interest, but it, it lets you fill in the gaps. It does let you fill in the gaps, um, and that, I don't know, it, it is very interesting to me, but I can see where it is, it might feel like a lot of work for a player. So, anybody want to talk about, Heidi, you had mentioned, you had mentioned, like, your initial impressions for this versus your later impressions, it, it, very different, right? Yes, so, <laughs> this yeah, oh, truly. This could be a, a a really good example of an awful first date that turns into a lovely marriage, right? <laughs> because initially I started reading this like, Dr. Tompkins, sir, you presented this and you said, let's try this game. And I was like, okay, never heard of it. And I, I looked at the book and I started reading it. And I'm going to quote this. Just bear with me. 
my friends. Trika, a science fantasy RPG in which players travel by Eldritch Portal in a non-Euclidean labyrinth in Golden Sail Barge between the uncountable crystal spheres strung delicately across the humpback sky. I read that and was like, oh, Jesus. This is, like, <laughs> so, like, in my mind. And here's the deal. I love gaming. And like, Good Omens is a book I read as a child, like, as a young as a youngster that I was like, you know what? This was my gateway into a lot of really great fantastical narration that I loved. And I have been a good like gaming and Gillian fan since, right? Um, yeah. But I read that and I was like, Jesus, that is, holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> however, however, and I told you guys that. So typically our pattern is that we pick a game, we play three or so games of it, and we try and get a good gauge on it. The initial time that we played this, the maiden voyage of this game, I was like, you guys, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not, uh, this feels very overwhelming to me. However, we started to go through it. You guys were lovely. You helped me through it. And after that first game, I was like, holy crap, I'd love this. <laughs> this is actually, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. All, because like, I love fantasy. This felt a little try-hard from the initial language, but I, I agree, Case, that there may be a difference because it is a British game to an American game. There may be a little bit of, like, kind of the dialogue of feeling like, ooh, that's a little, I'm not sure how, I don't know how you would say that, or that feels maybe over the top to us. Right. However, once I started playing it, I was, I, I took complex, like, over-the-top languages, like, oh, this is going to be try-hard. It's going to be probably way too many, like, complex rules. It's not. It's actually a pretty simple game. It's pretty straightforward. You just got to get over that initial hump right. of the language. But I love that. And I don't know, like... For you guys, like, how did you feel about that? And I don't know, are there other examples of games that you think, like, wow, I I hated this game initially, or I didn't want to do this initially, but once I started it, this has become a great game that I love, that's become a favorite? I know my initial impressions of games, especially, like, uh, things that ask me to, to do something really strange like they asked me to embrace some very strange world or systems that seem just way out there i do sort of run up against that that like it's like the game is asking too much of me and so this is i think really interesting because for me i read this game book and my imagination sort of caught fire because trey you can you could talk about this but one of the things about what you might call like early 20th century fantasy and science fiction is that it's it's famous for what I think of as the drive-by reference, which is you'll so for instance, when uh in HP Lovecraft's um Dreamland cycle, you the first time your main character visits the city of Ulthuar, the narrator says, The city of Ulthuar, where no man may kill a cat, and then never explains it, just leaves it there. And you, now later on, 
Lovecraft writes a story that explains that. But when you're reading that story, it's just sort of there. And for someone like me, I latch onto that thing. I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? How does that fall? And it, it, it's really cool and interesting. I think for other people, they might hit that and be like, okay, why did you tell me this? It's not germane to the story, right? Trey, did you did you feel any of that while you were playing this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I immediately, my mind went straight to Michael Moorcock. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. that's middle 20th century instead of early, but still. Yeah, I, I, I was immediately thinking of like Nine Princes in Amber and, you know, the stuff that I just really loved and still like to go back to. Um, yeah, the, the, the drive-drive references, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, they're this place just crying out for you to say something like that, you know. By, by the four moons of Sevalon! Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, what sure, are those four uh, moons? Why are they important? Doesn't matter. Yeah. It's up to you. Moving well, on. Okay, so Moving let's on. actually... I'm now. Think about that later. Yeah, think about that later. Or just like, well, it's just the difference between... Somebody like Robert E. Howard, somebody like Moorcock, and somebody like uh, Tolkien. Like, if Tolkien, Tolkien will tell you about the Argonath that, that uh, the Fellowship of the Ring sees while sailing or boating down the River Anduin. He knows when those were built, who built them, why they were built. He knows everything. This game doesn't care about that. Right. It's just, but it gives this depth to, it's like, oh, there is depth to the world. But that depth is something you work on rather than the story, the, the author. But let's, let's actually move into the, away from setting a little bit and into system, because a big part of this is the creation of characters. So characters are super simple in this game. The, the system itself is very bare bones. It's just... Um, Roll 2d6, you're either trying to roll under or over, depending on what you're trying to do. The actual explanation of the rules is just, you know, four or five pages. But the initial cre character creation system has you roll a couple of stats, I think like three, and then you roll on a table that provides you with a background. Now, this background is not a background like a D&D &D origin where it gives you a couple of, like a couple of things that just sort of add on to your character class. This is all that you are. And it provides you with some equipment, some skills, and a brief paragraph that tells you who you were before you started adventuring. And it is that every single one of those paragraphs is one of these drive-by settings where it says almost nothing. It lets you fill everything out. So for instance, it's very impressionistic. There's almost nothing. there. Yeah. yeah. Adam, what were you playing? My character was a a fellow of the Sublime Society of Beefsteaks. <laughs> As that class, you have to just sort of decide what that means. The, so now we know that the Sublime Society of Beefsteaks is a thing, and that I am a fellow, and so it's some sort of organized organization. Yeah, but Adam, what but what were you playing in the game? Oh, right. So yeah. So what did you do? With it? <laughs> right. <laughs> For the game, too. Yeah. Do we get to call Adam a beefsteak from now on? I hope you do. Oh, that's that... right. Hey-o! Hey there we go. <laughs> beefsteak fellow over there. <laughs> fellow. You gotta add fellow. You're right. That makes right. it professional. That's right. And you got, like, some fighting skills. Yep, I did. Uh, so that tells you, it's like, okay, these. I guess these guys are fighters, because it was like fist fighting and wrestling, right? Yeah, that's right. 
And then you got a skill called grilling, not like, yeah, not doing good cop, bad cop to a perp, but literally grilling, actually grilling food on a fire. Yeah. And um, Nathan, what were you? I was the lonesome monarch, and I actually have mine pulled up here. You were the ruler of all you surveyed, a great conqueror, a lawbringer. Unfortunately, your horse sped off into the pixie forest, or the court magician ensured you disappeared, or you led a sortie into the stars to put your stamp on them as well. Either way, you're now lost and a lonely sovereign without a kingdom. No one has heard of you or your people. Most don't believe you and laugh, or worse, <laughs> they do believe you and shrug at the vagaries of fate. Yes. You know, from that, I decided that my monarch was from a place where everybody talks like Christopher Walken. He had a nice weapon of his choice, a crown and a very tired horse. Uh, those are the possessions yes, he had. That's part of the equipment, yeah. And then his skills were etiquette, fighting with your nice weapon, uh, riding and tracking. But yeah. all of that, that is that is everything the game gives me to, to work off of. Yeah, so everything, that is all of the game. Heidi, you were... Um, you were playing a lawyer, right? Yeah, a young guardy lawyer. So essentially, it was just kind of a, a character. Uh, again, it and it gives you just enough to like develop what you want on your own. Uh, like in I, <clears throat> when looking at this game, it's a very almost like I think we talked about this term before. It's a very almost like choose your own adventure style where they give you just a really good shell of like, here you have it, you've got a kid character, do with it what you will. And I was a young guardy lawyer that it was just very like, she was by the book. She's not like other people, you know, right. she follows the rules and she goes every day to court to fight for cases. And, and that's enough. That's enough to give you a really good shell of like, okay, that's her character. That right. is who she is, right. and you can go into any fight with that. So yeah. it's good. You go, it's good. yeah, you go anywhere you want to. But it, there, the the assumption here is that you are you are put in this setting that is kind of a multiversal setting that you, like the wandering the 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 lost king or whatever Nathan was, has gone from someplace where his world makes sense into a place where his world doesn't make sense anymore. But all the characters are like that. Uh, Trey, your character was only technically human, right? I don't have the book in front of me. I can't look at... Do, do either of you guys have it in front of you? Of, of the Zoo yeah, Zoan. Zoanthrope. Zoanthrope, that's right. Right. Can you, can you read that quick... That, that bit of text right quick? At some point in your past, you decided you didn't need it anymore. You found a Zoanthropist and paid them well to remove your troublesome forebrain and elevate you to the pure and unburdened beast that you are today. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That's so, it. Yeah. That that that's what I've got, pretty much. Fortunately, the zoanthrope is also in the monster section of this game, so it gave me another couple yes. of clues. Um. So yeah. So it, it, it somewhere in there it says you were probably naked. So 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 I rolled with that and basically just decided that I was the human attack dog of, for for Nathan's character. So. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, so that's, that is your character creation. And yeah, that's it. so you roll on this giant table. It's big. There's lots of different backgrounds. If you buy many of the supplements for Troika, and there are quite a few, have additional backgrounds, but it is just sort of, here's a little bit of flavor. 
do with it what you will, but that's not as important as the fact that you're now in this other place trying to survive with these other these other individuals you've come across. So it, it has that, if anybody was a fan of the Farscape TV show that ran the Sci-Fi Network years ago, that has it has a similar vibe. Here are all these outcasts and people who may have once been important or famous, but now through circumstances they have been cast together as a motley crew and you're just trying to survive. Before we move on to the the system proper, I want to talk just about that experience. Many modern games allow you to control what you make. Hey, I'm going to sit down and uh, uh, to a game of to a fantasy RPG and I'm going to make a fighter or I'm going to make a wizard. I'm going to sit down to a like a superhero RPG and I'm going to make a, a Spider-Man clone or whatever. And this is an older style, I would say, of RPG experience where you roll some dice that tells you who you are and you kind of go with that. What do you think about that? How do you respond to that as opposed to like, I'm going to sit down and make myself a cleric? I found a little bit of cognitive dissonance there. I I was expecting it. So I'm cool with, with that idea. And I think it's very exciting. But because of how much it asks for the player to fill out the rest, it sort of gets you started by saying, don't worry about it. You don't have to even pick a class. It's all handled during character creation. You just roll some dice and we'll tell you what you are. And so then the character feels very relaxed and they're like, okay, cool. I'm not going to pick the wrong thing. I'm not going to make the wrong choice. But then when you start play, it immediately asks you all these things about like, what the heck does this even mean? I don't even know what a charcuterie night is. I don't, I don't know what that means. Or, and so you sort of are then promptly during play asked to fill in a lot of that gap. And so, you know, knowing that ahead of time would be important, but creating your character doesn't require a lot of input, but fleshing out the character in your head does and experiencing that during play. So, so if you are sold on the idea that character creation is very easy, that's true, but making a a three-dimensional character living in the world is the challenge. Yes, it is. And it it happens, though, in play. Like you were pointing out, you don't have to work it all out beforehand. There's something kind of freeing about... I think if they had said, you know, okay, we're going to tell you what character you have, and it had been a standard, like, role-playing game character, and they'd said, okay, you are a... You know, you're a, a cleric, and you have the following abilities, and I would feel a little railroaded by that. But they just give you this three or four weird, disjointed sentence kind of thing. And then you go with it and you make it up as you go along. Um, which is actually really good fun. Will you become, the, in some sense, the only expert in the group or in anywhere around of your character? It's like, what's a zoanthrop? Well, I've got this paragraph and that's all I've got. So I'm just going to make it up. And that's now that's the way it is. That's how it is in the world that we've created because I'm the only one of these, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I keep, I keep reaching for authors, but there was something kind of Jack Vance about it. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it definitely has that feel. Heidi, did I watched you go from, you know, being handed this character be like, what is this? And the last game we played, you were like, yeah, this is what my character does. Like, did you... As you were going on, did you feel more like, hey, I, I know what a young guardy lawyer is and this is who I am going to be? Or was it just like getting comfortable with a character in general? Did you ever feel like you had ownership over that background? 
little column A, column B. Let's face okay. it, at the end of the day, RPG, it's role-playing game, right? We all have a role to play. That feels very obvious, but I think people need to sometimes be reminded that, hey, this is what you make it. You've got to play that role. So again, like I said, going into this specific game, I was like, oh, hell no. This feels so try hard and I just feel like this is not for me. And I love fantasy stuff, right? Like I do. But even for me, I was like, nope, not having it. And by the end of that first game, you dudes brought me in and I was like, you know what? I love this. It's great. I love it. This is solid. So I think again, at the end of the day, you got to you have you have to acknowledge the 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 R in that role playing yeah. game, right? You really do. You are a major part of this. Of course, your crew that you're with is a major part of this. Absolutely. That all means a lot. But for me personally, by the end of this game, I was like, you know what? I'd love to play more of these. Like, yeah. I, I really would. Like, I, I, I think that we did three games through, and I loved it. And by the end, I was like, you know what? I'm into this. And it actually left me wanting to do more to see where we could go with this. It has a different type of a pull, I think, than an RPG that's like, oh, hey, I'm first level, but, you know, soon I'll have, you know, second level. And so that, that sort of pulls you on. This one has no levels. You advance, but it, it ha- its advanced system is a little bit different. We should talk about that. What seems to pull you on is this, like, going from this background character with one paragraph of text to a person. It's like, oh, I am this and does that mean that I'm a representative of my culture or a rebel from that culture? I decide. That's very interesting. Adam or Nathan, are you guys, have you done any other games that that are so beholden in character creation to the dice like this? Where, you know, it's not point by and it's not even like, you know, you roll your stats and then you arrange them how you want. But just like, hey, this is what you got. It's what you're playing. I'm trying to think probably have forced that upon myself just for fun pick eight character classes and roll a d8 and pick, that's the one i am um pro- probably second edition D roll stats and then pick based on that but yeah i can't think of anything in recent memory where i rolled a die or dice and then ended up with a character just based on that i think like adam mentioned i've rolled stats for for games before you know i've rolled stats and looked at them and and Okay, I'm going to be a fighter, so my my biggest number is going to go into strength or whatever, right? Um, I've done that, but I don't know that I've, at least not in recent memory, just rolled some dice and gone, well, I guess I'm a king without a kingdom. No, it's. I think it would be new for a lot of people, and I think that there would be, if you are used to any modern RPG system, whether that's a tabletop or sitting down to play a, a computer RPG where the first thing they're going to do is like, all right, choose a character, build your build your guy, allocate these points. This is really, it's taking away a lot of agency. You know what it kind of reminds me of in a very weird way, so, so hang with me here, kind of reminds me a little bit of the character you end up playing in Fiasco. 
Oh. Because in Fiasco, your character is defined by the relationships it has with the other players at the table, and those relationships can be defined by anybody at the table. So Adam and I, if we're sitting next to each other, Case, you could just decide that we're siblings. Okay, well, that's the thing I know about my character now. I have a brother. So that's probably the closest I could get in recent memory to having, like, character foisted upon me. But even in that game, you have more agency because I also get to define some things about us as well. So, yeah, this one kind of takes that to the extreme. No players involved or anything, just the fates. Yeah, just the fates. So. Just what, what you roll up. Okay, so let's move away from character creation for a minute. Unless anybody has anything else to say, I want to talk about the system itself. So your your system, it's, uh, again, D6s. We should maybe talk about this whole D6 thing because... So far, we've played three games. You, you know, we had our first three episodes have all been things where you didn't roll anything but a d6. That's worth talking about. This thing, uh, this system does a couple of interesting things. One, while you do have a basic skill check system, you roll what you want to roll under, except when you're challenging somebody, either in fighting or some other contest, then you want to beat their roll. But it also has a neat little system for doing damage. Uh, so you actually roll on a chart. You're still rolling a d6. But the damage that you do is based on what weapon you're using. So you roll a d6 on a chart and that tells you what your damage is. And then it's got this kind of cool initiative system where your actions in combat are based on dice that you, or or tokens of any sort that you pull out of a bag. So you, rather than rolling a set, set of initiatives and then like, okay, you act and then you act, when combat comes around in Troika, you throw a bunch of dice that represent the characters and the monsters in a bag and then you draw them out and whatever dice you pull out, it's like, oh, it's the purple dice. That That's Trey's character. Trey, it's your turn. System-wise, guys, tell me your thoughts. Heidi, you were you were talking in the green room before the show about D6s. <laughs> oh, man. D6s. Um, no, I was just curious because, okay, so you guys have a lot more experience than I do. However... I have played more traditional like D20 games or I don't know if you what you would call them all dice set games polyhedral dice. Hey, oh, fancy pants. Look at you. Oh my. Look at you with your big lexicon. So fancy. Yeah, Trey, put your lexicon back away. Just, just put it away. No one wants to see that. That's supposed to be a Patreon stretch goal anyway. That's that's right. That's a stretch goal, man. Yeah, Patreon stretch goal is to see, see Trey's lexicon. All right, all right. Simmer down. <laughs> what I will say is I'm very curious because the few games, as we have been kind of getting into this, there has been a lot of straight D6 games. Do you guys find that more appealing because it makes for a more simplistic system? Do you find it like, okay, this is just like a coincidence because we, as a group of five, are just kind of picking this stuff and it's like, oh, wow, that just happened to happen? Or, I don't know, I I guess I, as more of a, not a newbie, but a, a little more green player to this stuff, I'm curious to you more evergreen folks how do you feel about the d6 system because to me i'm like wow this is nuts that we keep doing these d6 systems i don't i don't feel like a real nerd if all my dice look like sugar cubes that's fair yeah (laughs) when you think about as much as much money as we've all invested in purchasing dice and then you've got these boring old cubes 
There you go. That's what it is. I mean, is. I'm looking right now on my shelf, and I'm like, oh, I have some really beautiful sets of, like, really lovely, like, D20s and whatnot, and I'm like, this one has sparkles. I just want to use them. My D12 is getting so lonely. Well, I think I think one of the differences between this one and some of the other D6-based games is that this one you're typically rolling 2D6 and looking to roll under. What I think's different about this one is that rolling multiple dice and adding them together automatically implies a bell curve. So you're looking at 7 on average, which I think is a little bit different conceptually in my mind when I'm thinking about where to maybe place something in my rucksack so that I can withdraw it during combat. I'm going to place it you know, lower than 7 or around 7 or whatever. The other ones that we've played, which also use D6s, worth noting, we're just looking for successes on single dice. And so it's true, they use D6s as well, but a 5 or a 6 was a success. So they could just as easily been D10s where different lo- you know, different numbers on those D10s were successes. This one was a little different because I guess you, you roll 2 and add them together, which I think made it different. But it is true, I guess there's a lot of uh, D6 mechanics i guess to play around with it's what's worth noting i guess is that they're still innovating on it because troika while it does have a very old school feel is a relatively new rpg and so there's still interesting mechanics out there to play around with with just a boring old d6s clearly it's inviting to people who are maybe new to rpgs it's it's often and it may be more inviting right? Because it feels a little less complex. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? That was something I was going to mention too. I think the main reason why we've played a lot of D6 games so far in our our short podcast run here is because so far we've played games that have placed at least something of an emphasis on a simple rule set. And if you're going to place an emphasis on a simple rule set, then adding the complexity of polyhedral dice is just, that's like a quick win, right? You, you, re- you decide not to use polyhedral dice, you use six-sided dice that anybody who has played Monopoly or Yahtzee has seen. Uh, everybody knows what a six-sided die is. That's a quick win for simplicity's sake, and, and you, can, you can find those anywhere. You can buy a dozen six-sided dice for a lot cheaper than you can multiple sets of polyhedral dice. And, and then, uh, you know, they're, they're easy to read and the people have enough experience rolling six sided dice that they tend to know how the, the math works on those as well. The probability ultimately it's, it's all about, I think six sided dice. Uh, it's all about, you know, ease of access and the familiarity of those six sided dice. And I think that's why we've been seeing a lot of it so far. Well, I I agree I agree with you. I also think though that there's um I love the term tryhard fantasy um, because like yeah yeah Sorry. if I take off my enthusiast hat and look at this it's like really come on what what are you doing here I, I mean I love fantasy stuff and that even even when I opened this book initially I was like oh yeah yeah exactly yeah if you if you look at the cover there's like some weird woman with like blue metallic guts coming out of her like she's this cylinder person and then there's a like a there's like a a robot and a like a rhino dude like who knows what's going on this also kind of harkens back to the beginnings of fantasy role-playing where D&D came out and was using all these weird dice and the first non-D&D fantasy RPG was called Tunnels and Trolls written by a guy who picked up uh, Ken St. Andre he picked up 
D&D and was like, what's with all these stupid, weird dice? We can do this with D6s. So there is a sense in which the D6 represents a kind of like, it harkens back to the era of DIY RPG where where the beginning of the hobby was this kind of wide open space where people were innovating, doing all sorts of weird stuff because there were no rules yet. And I think that there's a, there's something emblematic about the D6 in that sense. Would you call Troika an OSR game? I would call it OSR inspired. Like mm. it's not, it's not an OSR game because I, I think it's, it's a couple levels removed. But it's based on fighting fantasy. That's a weird thing to base your RPG on. You know, these old these old choose-your-own-adventure books. For the people at home, what's OSR stand for? Oh, sorry. Old School Renaissance. It's, there we go. It's, sorry about that. It's, it, it's looking back to the way the games were in the 70s and 80s when, when yeah. RPGs were a brand new hobby. Yeah, I totally knew that, but uh, just wanted to ask. Sure, Nathan. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, Adam didn't know. No, well, and the, the other thing is, no, I... Uh, for for listeners who are perhaps chomping to the bit for something more complex, like my shelf is full, it's coming. We're 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I have I have books that you can drop on someone and kill them um, <laughs> from only a story up. Um, we're, we're we're getting there. Okay, so we've talked a little about the um, the rule set, but Adam, you had mentioned replayability. I sort of took D6 to task the Tiny D, Tiny Supers last episode for being a kind of a sideshow. You go and play it for a little while, but there's no staying power. What about this? Is this is does this have staying power, or is it uh, again a kind of sideshow between longer campaigns? Probably a sideshow, and and if I were to use it for that purpose, I think just the difference between, you know, swapping one character class out for another would introduce more variability and create a new story to be told. But I think Trey also had some thoughts on replayability as well. Yeah, they were were pretty pretty similar. It's not that it isn't replayable. Like you were mentioning, there's all these, there are all these classes, and you're rolling them at random. Every time you do this game, it's going to completely... You know, it's going to be something new. It's not that it isn't replayable. I, m- much like Heidi, I had so much freaking fun playing this game. I can hardly tell you. <laughs> I enjoyed the heck out of myself. Um, it was. It, it moves fast. You know, there's not a lot of fiddling and futzing around. It moves fast. It's easy to do. Anything goes. You're making this stuff up as you go along. You know. The GM's making it up as the GM goes along. The players are making it up. They're playing off each other, and no, nothing's written in stone. It's just freewheeling and fast and fun. I don't know, though, how long... I mean, we played four sessions, right? I don't know how... You know, if you could keep doing it for months. There is... There's not a lot... So this the system for advancement, there's no levels. It's pretty straightforward, you roll your skills as you roll them, and during the game, you can, um, when you roll a skill and succeed, you make a check mark next to it. At the end of the session, you roll your skill again. If you fail, you add one to your total skill level, which is good because you're trying to get below your skill um, when you make a roll. And so you're, you will improve your skills gradually, but you will that numbers game is going to tap out 
pretty early on. So I would say that if you're talking about a long-term campaign, maybe six to 12 months of of solid play. I say that's generous. That's generous. Okay. Also, by the nature of the the bell curve that that Adam mentioned, with you rolling two d sixes, you end up with that bell curve with seven at the average. Once you pass seven, you're getting diminishing returns when you rank up your skills as well. I want to say something about Nathan being a nerd, but I feel like it's <laughs> nerd. Nerd. yeah, exactly. <laughs> normal distribution yeah well the the problem is that within this last hour i have already mentioned hp lovecraft michael moorcock tolkien and i've quoted from those works without reference to a book so i just don't (laughs) feel like i have i don't have the uh the wherewithal your house is glass glass i say glass houses throwing stones okay we've talked a little bit about the world we've talked a little about the system I want to talk very briefly about, we've alluded to this a couple of times, the idea of entry into the hobby. And this particular game, and actually just being where I am and what I'm doing right now, has made me think about this. I picked this game up and and sort of gave it to the group because I felt like this was a great game to to begin with. The system is very simple. It's very whimsical, and yet I now I sort of think back on it, I think maybe not. Maybe this is not a game for beginners. And I just had a similar experience with my sister. I brought a game that I thought, I, I picked out a board game and brought it to my sister thinking she would love this game, just love it. I was like, oh, it's kind of about story construction, all this sort of stuff. For Nathan and Adam, it was Call to Adventure, right? And my sister is a novelist. She writes books. I was like, she'll love this. She bounced off of it like a bullet off of Superman's chest. I don't understand this. I don't see why. Even your idioms are nerdy, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) God, I hate you. (laughs) Once per episode, you get one. That's it. You're done now. I have made case exasperated. My mission is complete. Okay, calm down. No. Oh, okay. All right. I'll be quiet. If I kill him now, the plan will be for nothing. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just thinking about, I, I have been thinking about getting people into the hobby. For someone who has been playing RPGs as long as I have, it feels as if this experience, both with my sister and with this game, feels as if I am, it's like I can't see the forest for the trees. I'm too far into the hobby to recognize an entry game when I see it. Thoughts? I, my, my instinct, uh, see, I was thinking about this even before you brought it up. I was thinking, what, what do I think about this as far as, you know, a, an entry-level game? And my instinct is that beginners need more guide rails than this game would give them, rules-wise. But then I think, well, is that true? I haven't been a beginner at this since 1980. <laughs> what do I know what, about what it, what it is to first learn how to play this hobby? I think the problem with this game for beginners is going to be less the system, which is nice and simple and fast, less the system than the setting. Because a couple of things ha- have to happen. First, you've got to give have people who get this setting, right? And it's pretty unusual unless you've read you know you know like this early to mid 20th century fantasy unless you're familiar with you know brazil and all that you know this this sort of british 
um, almost mod-inflected kind of thing, and 1960s cartoons, psychedelia, things like that, you're not going to understand. And even if you do understand, you have a table full of people who are going to be willing to go there and inhabit that. Maybe you do. Um, We did, you know, and we have a pretty, you know, reasonably wide range of ages here. Um, And we we were able to. I may may just be, you know, know, underestimating people in general and, you know, uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. What do y'all think? I agree. I think the system is not going to be the problem. Definitely the setting, and maybe not even the setting so much as just like the extra fluff. I think this is a book that is 120 pages made entirely of the left half of Velcro. <laughs> it's not the other part. You must, as a GM and, and players, bring the other half of the Velcro or you will not stick to this. This book is made out of the left half of Velcro. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll buy that. Heidi, Nathan, any thoughts there? Go ahead, Heidi. Well, I mean, I would agree. Like, this is not, as a new player, this is definitely not something I would give to somebody who's like, hey, I want to try RPGs. No, I would not start them with this for sure. Not because it's so complex, because it's not. The system is not hard. It's a D6. It's like you roll, you have your character. It's done it's not hard just simply because i don't know like i think there's a little bit of i think it's kind of hard for new players to kind of figure out like where do i go with this if you will you know how do i kind of play this out and this game is very it's for better or worse the term i would use is choose your own adventure which is great in the term of, okay, you can figure it out and you can kind of pick some stuff. However, it's a little bit limiting and you're like, okay, you're locked into this stuff. I think that sometimes for a new player, it's actually better if you're able to just like, hey, here's the rules, do your thing. Like create and like have an adventure. I liked it, but like I said, the language, and I and I don't know if that was a British versus American thing. I don't know. But the language was a little like, oof. A little bit much. <sighs> that is a lot. And, and, and I say this to a group <laughs> where two out of the five of us have doctorates in like medieval type literature and such like like you all this is your wheelhouse and for me i'm like "Mm, i don't know this still felt a little bottom line for me i'd love to give this game a few more plays but i didn't love it and i'll leave it at that that's it the whole thing with you know are people gonna get it i think i'm off base there with people not getting it and here's why i thought back to when i was in junior high and I started playing Gamma World with my friends. Story time with Grandpa Trey. Here we go. <laughs> uh, what? I'm sorry. So, what? Oh, God. You're right, Case. I hate him, too. <laughs> I love Grandpa Trey. Everybody knows Gamma World, right? Gamma World is a game that does not take itself remotely seriously. Gamma World is basically a parody of science fiction games and, and nuclear, you know, ridiculous nuclear post-nuclear stuff, right? My friends and I 
did not get that. We played Gamma World like it was dead freaking serious. Hoops and hoppers and all. And we loved the heck out of that game. We played it and played it and played it and we took it very seriously. It wasn't until much later that we realized the whole thing was supposed to be a joke. But we still had fun. That That's why I'm not sure that not getting it is really the deal breaker that I thought it was at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, okay, well, so let, let's, let's do this. Let's move right into this because uh, we've been sort of dancing around this issue. Um, let's do the once around the room thing. Who is this game for? As far as I'm concerned, this game is for people who like the sort of stuff we've been talking about. Gilliam and Gaiman and Moorcock and that sort of thing. They want to have that kind of, like, I'm alone among other strangers. I'm a unique thing in the world. And you're not afraid of jumping into something that you are handed rather than picking. So I would say it's for people who who want that feeling of exploration and whether that's exploring a universe and exploring a character you do at the same time. So if, if exploration is your thing, you will like this game. Nathan, what do you think? Who's this for? As far as the players go, I think uh, this is for players that really like the role-playing portion of role-playing games. The The actual like game system is so simple that it's almost non-existent. And I think that the vast majority of the fun that you're going to get from this game are going to be these fish-out-of-water characters that have just been handed to you with very little description, and you have to kind of spin it out of whole cloth, and, and their interaction with the world. I think this is, as you said, for fans of that type of farcical fantasy, that type of just oddball, you know, anything goes kind of style of fantasy that you get from this, uh, that particular genre. And it's kind of, uh, for, this is like a, it's like a fantasy RPG version of quantum leap, right? You're just gonna, you're going to get out of this place and go to a new place after it. So it's, it's not about, it's not about rescuing the princess or killing the dragon. It's about just trying to go home for players that want to have kind of this unending adventure with these crazy wacky characters. Yeah. Heidi. Oh man. I've thought about this because in my mind, like you said early on, this is the kind of thing that could possibly very much appeal. If you're a Neil Gaiman fan or Terry Gilliam fan, like absolutely. Um, so I think in, in that realm, this may be for you. I definitely do not think this game is for somebody looking to initially dive into RPGs. No, I think you should play a few other games first before you get into this. Not that this is bad. I just think that this is going to take a few you got to kind of know what you're doing first, which honestly, full disclosure, I do not. <laughs> ah, you do all right. Yeah, everything's fine. I know nothing. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am riding on your coattails. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Love you guys. Magic coattails. Plus one. Adam, what do you think? I think for players... Um, if you're confident introducing canon into the story and don't rely on your GM to do that, uh, if you are prepared to define those weird phrases that you found in your background, 
Um, Because I found that is to be my biggest concern. If your players are are excited about that prospect, this game is for them. As a GM, I found this really interesting just to pick this book apart and mine it for its resources. The fluff, like just to get your creative juices flowing, buy the book for that alone. Mm -hmm. And if you run it in some other system, fine. This system's fine, don't get me wrong. But if you already have one, this is just a great just a great place to mine even for mechanics i think the initiative system is worth hijacking and the inventory management system is worth hijacking as well right and actually just to say off that the troika community is very large and very active and you can find so many interesting adventures and worlds and material developed for for this this game that is available for free or relatively cheap because it it has a an active online community that is developing stuff all the time. Trey, who's this for? Well, I don't have a lot to add. I, th- I think if you're if you're really into crunch, if you like a rule system that you can min max with, if you're one of these many many people who half the fun of the game for them is working those rules and optimizing, this game's gonna make you crazy. <laughs> you're gonna hate this. But if you're not you know, you know, like like Adam was saying, you know, if you can, if you're excited about just riffing off each other, you know, this game is for you. You're gonna have a great time if you like making st- stuff up as you go along. Like you said, if 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 as a player you're comfortable helping to create the world around you and the things that are going on in the world, you're gonna love this. And if you're looking for a nice breezy thing to do between campaigns of other games i can't think of a better thing to do Uh, i think this is good fun and if that's what you like you're gonna like it it is definitely a jaunt for sure Mm -hmm. yeah okay cards on the table i give this game a pass and we got one yeah i know everyone calm down we got one out of it yeah Yeah. doctor approved i know it's it's summertime i'm not teaching as many classes he's high in colorado (laughs) yeah i am yes i am more willing to uh you know, I'm in a holiday mood and like enough to consent. Oh, he did it again. <laughs> no, what? Don't. It's Shakespeare. I know. I know. Nerd. Okay. Nerd. <laughs> no, I, I think that this, for me, this has got a lot of replayability. It scratches my itch for an implied setting that allows me to fill it out. I think the system is easy enough to teach, and I really enjoy the kind of mythic slash storytelling type of fantasy that this gives. I that It's my jam. And so I don't give it a high pass because it doesn't... It, 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 it does feel like an experiment to me. It's a fun experiment, but it doesn't have enough there to... To support long-term play and even with the adventure that's in the back of the book it really doesn't give enough to to gms to give them an idea of what they're supposed to do but i do like the system and i do like the world so and i would run it i would run it over and over again i wouldn't probably wouldn't run it in succession or for a long period but i would run it a lot trey yeah um i'm gonna give it a pass too and yeah, uh, the the only thing that keeps it from being a high... If it were just me, I'd give it a high pass. I loved this game. But considering the the, uh, the factors we've talked about as far as just like for the wider world, um, I think its audience is going to be a little more limited than a more traditional fantasy setting. So I'm going to give it a pass. I do want to make clear, though, that I had a hell of a good time playing this game. 
And <laughs> and I would highly recommend it to anybody who likes the sort of thing we we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Adam. So I, I think it's interesting Case's perspective on the pass, high pass fail is would I run this? And I think part of that's just because he's the forever GM <laughs> to the extent that I think I, I'm, so I'm even I'm even starting to wonder, like maybe about 90 percent of the reason we were invited to this podcast is just so that he can occasionally be a player. <laughs> well, OK, that's true. But it's but that's also like that's why you the, the, these things get passes for me yeah. is because I am a forever GM and I've built up this tolerance, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. The tough exterior of the forever GM. Yeah. So, so from my perspective as, as a player uh, in this one, I would give it a pass. If I were to run this, I would give it a pass. I think I'm glad, first of all, I'm glad that it exists. I'm surprised it didn't exist before. It's uh, it has that sort of retro feel that you kind of just, th- you kind of look at it and think that it's always been around. I also love it as a set piece. I think the art is fantastic. I think the gameplay and the mechanics are fine it gets a pass they're fine the mechanics are fine i think the the fluff and the rest of it really are what makes it interesting and to mine them for something else i would definitely do that solid pass for me all right heidi i give it a pass simply based on the fact that i could have played more that's it Mm. like did this blow me away no but right at the point when we stopped doing our kind of review games i was at a point where i was like oh this was just getting kind of good. And yeah. so from that perspective, I like it. I really do. Like, again, like I said, I went into this like, hell no. This is so stupid. <laughs> you guys. Oh, my God. This is too much. And then it won me over. It totally did. So, you know what? Yeah. I will give it that, that it made that uphill battle with me right but then you know what i enjoyed it yeah also it probably helps that we were in a freaking like our setting full disclosure was in town with cats and i should we should we explain that i don't know maybe not just leave it open no 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 no. we're gonna leave that mysteriously vague there was a town there were cats (laughs) It was I a problem. Heidi was enchanted. I loved it. I so loved it. But yeah, it was a problem for everyone but Heidi. And in that town, <laughs> no man could kill a cat. No. Bottom yes. line, though, it, it's a game that I went into thinking, there's no way. This is so ridiculous. And it won me over. So I would give it a pass on the like caveat of I'd love to play a handful of more games with it to see how it kind of plays out for me. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can get that. And I can, like, I wanted to know more about your characters and that, that usually spurs me on. Okay. Nathan. Yeah. So, um, I've really kind of struggled with this one to come up with, with a score. I've, I've been kind of going back and forth, you know, some, some things that I like, I really enjoyed just rolling dice and seeing what my character was. If, if any of you know me, you know that the thing that I love to do is to be handed something weird and then just to run with it. Right. And so that really like fed right into my style of role playing. The mechanics, as Adam said, were fine. They're pretty simplistic. I I don't think there was anything particularly wow about them. However, the setting is definitely not my jam. I'm not actually much of a fan of the style of of fantasy that this game 
uh, runs in, and I don't know that the fun of character creation and playing that crazy character outweighs the setting for me. So I think this will be my first fail that I give. Ooh, fancy pants. Dang. A, uh, this will be my first fail. I give a, a, uh, a game, but probably only because it's, you know, the third game we've played, not because it's extraordinarily bad or anything. I think it just doesn't quite fit with what I want from a game. And also to pick on case a little, so you can be the counter to whatever he picked. Yes. Yeah. Also, also my, right. my, yes, that's right. <laughs> my score was sealed as soon as he said pass. Take that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nemesis. Yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah, we, we, forever we will circle each other, jabbing and uh, and, and right. striking. Neither can achieve dominance while the other lives. So no, I find that perfectly fair, and I think that that's exactly the sort of thing that we should consider. This really is a game that depends on how your players approach fantasy and story story making and if this is not for them it's really gonna not be for them yeah yeah to equate it to food this game has a very very strong flavor and if you like that flavor you are into it and if you don't you're very much not oh yeah that reminds me we have to talk about magic which of course is where you'll find the rules for grappling So you succeeded, okay. which means that you do not improve. So the idea is when you're rolling at the here at the end of the session, if you'd failed, then you would improve your skill by one. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the reason that's logical is because what that means is that the better you get, the harder it is for you to improve when you use the skill. Okay. And okay. your etiquette is pretty good. So, okay. yeah. All right, good, good, good. All right. I did not use any skills. No, no. I did nothing. 